Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to The Things We Do For Love. I'm Izzy Sutty, your host, and this week I'm joined by the absolutely indescribably brilliant Joe Brand, who I've known for quite a few years now. I did a show called Damned With Her, which ran for two series with lots of great people, and it was very much fun. And um, I've known her for a long time as a friend as well. And it was a real pleasure to have her on. Um, Due to technical problems, we had to record me over Zoom. Good old Zoom, our friend and enemy in the last year. So apologies if the sound isn't quite as good as usual, but I don't think it's too bothersome. And the chat is very good. So hopefully you won't notice. If you don't know who Jo is, um, she is an absolutely amazing comedian who's been around doing comedy for a while and is just brilliant and also appears on lots and lots of things on telly and writes as well and wrote a great film called The More You Ignore Me with Sheridan Smith in it and um, yeah is just an an all-round really fantastic person so please sit back and enjoy The Things We Do For Love with Joe Brand. Welcome to The Things We Do For Love. The things we do for love. The things we do for love. This week, I'm joined by... Joe Brand. Her favourite Beatles song is... All You Need Is Love, Just To Be Predictable, Maybe. Yeah, good choice. Her favourite mm. mode of transport is... Oh, a rally car. Wow. But you wouldn't really use it to get from A to B, which I suppose you could. I've done. Have you? Well, I've got my international rallying licence. So, yes, I have driven from places not on a rally course that I shouldn't have driven to, like a petrol station to get some chocolate, for example. That is the best reason to use a rally car. (laughs) If there ever was an emergency, we had to get to really quickly. (laughs) I need chocolate in a much shorter time than normal. (laughs) The things we do for love. Um, the clapping, Ben joined in the clapping then, the producer, and I think it was worse than ever. Yeah, sorry, mine wasn't good. Don't worry, you, you've got an excuse. He's heard this song about a hundred times. <laughs> um, so welcome to the things we do for love, the podcast about the things we do for love. It might be the time you knitted someone you fancied a jumper with your name all over it, only to discover he's allergic to wool, or the time you fell in love with a skateboarder, so you carried around a skateboard with no wheels on it on your shoulder wherever he went which I actually did. You did um, Yeah, I did. Did you used to have skaters in your town who everyone fancied? No, in my day we had people on penny farthings going about their business in Dickensian costume. No wheel of a penny farthing bike. <laughs> exactly. Now, I don't think skateboarding had actually made it over the Atlantic when I was a kid. Did you have an equivalent? Like, basically, we used to go to the park and watch them all. So there'd be all these boys skateboarding, like in the empty 
paddling pool and we just used to sit around and watch them but I suppose there isn't an equivalent really BMXing well yeah it was sort of what we called the rec the recreation grounds and it was like boys up there just doing pathetic tricks on their bikes really that was it it's funny that girls don't girls do do it now I think probably they do do it now more than in our day but um (laughs) I couldn't skateboard so I just had this they call it a deck with no wheels that I just used to carry around in the hope that they think, oh, yeah, she knows how to fix wheels so that she just isn't bothering. Did it work? No, it didn't really work. Oh, sorry no. about that. No, thank you. I think I used to do a lot of things where I'd fancy someone or maybe even convince myself that I fancied someone. You know, when you're like your best friend fancies someone, you kind of can make yourself fancy their best friend just because it would be really convenient. To... I really do know that scenario. <laughs> also, I hate to bring tragedy in at such an early point in this discussion. But if you're like the friend that's not so attractive, you can just bypass the good looking one and think, "Mm, well, can I live with the one that's not as attractive? You know, that's exactly what I used to do. You get like the interesting one. You get (laughs) you get the sort of the weird one. Yeah, exactly. So there is kind of a bonus to it. But there was one time because. I have a really lovely friend called Betty, who I think you might have met, actually, who was yes. like so gorgeous when we were at university. And she always used to get the nicer looking one. And then one night we were in a, like a nightclub in Brixton. And for some reason, I got the really gorgeous one. We called him the crumb snatcher because he looked so young. I felt like I was committing a criminal <laughs> offence. But she got like a really weird looking one who used to do impressions of Winston Churchill and had like quite bad skin who, you know, by rights I should have got, really. So that was a brief and brilliant sojourn in the world of being the more attractive friend. I don't know what was going on there, what went wrong, but it was interesting. Did your one have less of a personality? Because I always used to think, well, at least my one's got, like, at least he can do impressions of Winston Churchill or he's got a monocle. There's some sort of... (laughs) Exactly. But, you know, again, the rules of like, he didn't have much of a personality. I mean, he wasn't horrible. He was kind of a nice enough guy. But the rules are, if you're really attractive, you stop trying at a certain age. Well, it's not fair to say that of everybody, but some people do, because if they're always getting overtures made to them about oh you're so gorgeous why do you actually even need to say anything and it's frustrating from another point of view I had another friend who was absolutely beautiful and she hated it because people just treated her like she was an idiot not women men because they would talk to her always in a flirty way and she was so sick of it did she ever used to try and make herself sort of rough herself up a bit we did (laughs) Come on, put these horrible cracked glasses with baked beans on them on. um, (laughs) Go and roll in that mud. (laughs) My best friend at school is very pretty and it used to sometimes annoy me. I know exactly what you mean. I used to be the one in the corner. I remember we went out once and I smashed, I punched a mirror and it went into shards. And then I, this is, I mean, I was so kind of, I was a bit of a goth and, and also really wanted attention. It's a quite um, a poisonous <laughs> combination. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wasn't happy with just being a silent goth who got on with it. I had to also be troubled. And so I, it didn't make much of a cut at all, but I just lightly cut my palms with these shards of mirror. It really didn't do any harm whatsoever. And the reason was just so I could kind of walk around and go, oh, look what I've done. Ah, and I was sort of always doing things like that. And then she seemed to, and she had quite a hard home life. It wasn't like she had this charmed life, but she just looked so beautiful that I just used to think, God, you're so lucky. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to even know who bands are. No, absolutely. I used to think at college that people used to hang around with people who were the sort of the equivalent of them in terms of how they looked so that there wasn't one who used to get the good-looking guy or the good-looking girl. But then again, there were so many gay guys at college, it kind of all changed anyway. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I always, as a teenager, I don't even know if you know this song, identify with a song called Seventeen by Janice Ian. Do you know that song? No, it's not 
Well, she was just nuts, the Beatles, isn't it? No, I wish it was that song. No, it went, um, I learned the truth at 17 that love was meant for beauty queens and high school girls with clear skin smiles who married young and then retired. And it's all about sitting at home waiting for the phone to ring with your ravaged face. And I mean, it's really cheery. But actually, it's a lovely song and it's a beautiful tune. And I think when she wrote it, she just thought uh, maybe three people would say to her, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm like that. But nearly the whole world did, apparently. And she was like so touched by the fact that people could identify with being the one that sat at home and never got any Valentines and looked rubbish in their new clothes and all the rest of it. So that was kind of an anthem for my youth, really, in a way. Good-looking people have those problems as well. Like, they don't necessarily have the problem of getting no Valentine's cards, but they do get dumped, and they do... And I sometimes feel like they're not cut enough slack. It's like, oh, you've got it easy, and actually they do feel lonely when they're younger, and they do... I'm sort of thinking of everyone at around 17. Do you know why that is? Why? Because you're a nice person, and I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm trying no, to think of the worst no. thing I've done now to uh, oh I know the worst thing I've done there used to be this thing you know like the Blue Peter you collect money for Blue Peter yeah and, yeah that's I, I remember getting, I got like a kit through the post and I had to do sponsored something and, and I got all the stickers and everything and then I collected the money and I never gave it in that's not that terrible is he that's not murder is it or no, I suppose kidnapping not. someone's child no that's true that's true actually I know the worst thing I've done I painted over some A-level paintings the night before they were graded by the moderator me and my friend who were in detention oh well done yeah that's kind of worse in a way I think it is a bit yeah because I only spent about three pounds forty from the blue peter thing on Toffos probably and Fanta but yeah we just got really bored in this detention and there was a picture of Stephen King's It which was coming out of a manhole. So if you can remember the cover of probably the film or the book. I it's do. It's a thing coming out. Of, yeah, and we painted over its eyes. And actually, we did quite a good job on those. We reshaded them. And there was one of a cotton reel, and we reshaded that as well. We did a couple of other things, and we made some look worse. And I, I always feel bad about that, but maybe people got better grades because of us. So Yeah, absolutely. I bet they did. It's like the opposite of Amelie, isn't it? You're doing a bad thing, and it happens to have a good outcome by chance (laughs) absolutely (laughs) my mum has hammered this saying into me since I was a kid which is that no good deed ever goes unpunished and I think that that's true if you do try and do good things there's always a bad outcome it's as if Satan always slightly wins certainly with me a lot of the time like I mean I was thinking of one the other day for example I I went to visit a big factory that was striking up north years ago when I was gigging and drove in and then I went and gave a talk to everyone and we all the strikers we bought them like a load of clothes and beer and all that sort of thing then when I was heading off to the gig on the A1 I had a blowout at 90 miles an hour on the in the fast lane of the A1 and that was because they'd spread tax on the road outside the factory to make the scabs tires burst as it were so that's when I started thinking yeah that kind of works that saying So, you know, I use that a bit, that one, that saying, and it does actually fulfil itself a lot of times, to be honest. God, yeah. What's the point of even trying? But then you cooked me, when I had Steph, you cooked me loads of lasagnas and chilies and stuff and brought them around. So did a bad thing happen because of that? I don't remember um, you getting accosted as you were walking down the steps by like a clown who rugby tackled you. and You know what I mean? And nothing, <laughs> <laughs> trying to think of what could have happened between my That's house and your true. house. No, I didn't actually. No, nothing happened there, I don't think. I certainly didn't get rugby tackled by a clown, which I'd quite like in a way. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> It would sort of be a good, bad thing to happen. I have still got your tea towel, so maybe that's... maybe. I mean, that's not a great thing, is it? But I've still got that. No, that's true. Maybe I'll phone, is it 101? Just let them know that they should (laughs) come and have a word with you for petty theft. Yeah. Um, Did you use to send Valentine's cards? Are you someone who does stuff like that? Not really, no. I don't think I did. I don't know. I think people send Valentine's cards in the expectation of getting one. I don't see the point of getting a Valentine's card from someone that you know. Do you? I don't see the point of getting one from someone that you don't know. 
because I think I'm quite outcome orientated and I I did receive a present, I think maybe some flowers or a DVD, and a DVD once, and I never knew who it was from. And it actually was quite weird. Oh, okay. Well, now, I just used to like fantasising about who it would have been. Yeah. Yeah, it was probably from my mum or from one of my brothers as a joke. But I like to think it was from someone very handsome that lived down the road. <laughs> yeah. Sure, it never was. But you don't know. I suppose that is the romantic I'm gonna, it's like, is it a means to an end or is it just, oh, that's a nice thing that I'm going to... Maybe as you get older, it's more weird if you don't know. Like, if someone sent me, like, ten white doves now, I'd know there's no way it could have been Ellis because everything gets <laughs> his birthday Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ellis got Betty to go and choose my birthday present because he realized no no I had to take her he realized about 4 p.m on the day that he hadn't got me anything so I had to take her up to the shop and then she chose it and then I paid for it on a joint account and he was supposed to pay me back and he didn't so I paid for half of it in any way well it's reassuring to know that romance isn't dead (laughs) (laughs) yeah I got you got something what are you complaining about exactly I like to have a little troll through mum's net from time to time. And I like those kind of posts that people put up. What's the worst present your husband's ever bought you? And there's some great ones, you know, a lawnmower, for example. (laughs) You know, that thing of buying flowers in that awful cellophane from the garage, that's a cliche because so many people do it and it annoys so many women, I presume. I know. And does everyone like getting flowers? I don't mind it from time to time, but sometimes it's actually, I never cut the stems on a slant or arrange them properly. I just shove them in a pint glass. I haven't got, exactly. You can see I've got vases behind me, but none of them are big enough really to fit a whole, a whole bunch, Proper bunch in. in. Yeah. I suppose if someone handpicked some wild flowers and tied them with a piece of yarn, that might seem more... Yeah, that'd be lovely. Just a few. It's not about volume, is it? It's three or four. No, it's not about the bigger, the better with flowers, is it, really? No. Not like chocolate. No, God, not like chocolate. (laughs) Isn't it awful when someone gets it? Do you like dark chocolate? Not really. No, I don't. No, it's sort of bitter, and I don't like the fact it's good for you. It shouldn't be. No, no, exactly. But, you know, like if someone gets you... Someone got me once like one bar of dark chocolate with hardly any in there. And I was like, there are two things wrong here. It's dark chocolate Chocolate. and it's really small. What's the point of... (laughs) (laughs) I like those big chocolate boxes where there's like two layers and you don't realise there's another layer until... Oh, I know. They're great, they are. And also, the more expensive the chocolate, the worse it tastes, in my opinion. Do you think there's a cut-off point? What's the cheapest chocolate... I suppose like a Freddo or a Chomp bar. Oh, I love Chomp bars. I would rather someone bought me a big basket of Chomp bars than some posh chocolates. Yeah. Any sort of posh chocolates, half of which are dark chocolates, so immediately have to be thrown at the wall. I know, I know. Or sort of weird like coffee, like they're trying to be too clever. I like picnic bars. I don't know if they still do those. Oh, I love picnic bars. Yeah. And I used to love Aztecs. Do you remember them? No. No, that was probably in about 1973 or something. But, uh, yeah, they're kind of chewy like picnics, except they're sort of a bit smoother. Oh, they were lovely. I'm going to get you a big basket of chomps. Are you? Yeah. I'm going to get you a massive shopping trolley full of dark chocolate. (laughs) And then we we can both throw it off a cliff and then go and get loads of milk chocolate. We could throw it off a cliff onto loads of people who like dark chocolate. <laughs> exactly. And it's good for you. Ugh. Oh, my God, no. So what I like to do is eat food I know is good for me, like kale or broccoli. That's fine. Exactly. With butter on it. But then if something's sweet, it sort of should be bad for you, I think. I totally agree. Um, I'm looking at um, all Ellis's books and thinking, we're, we're going to move house soon, you know. Oh, um, right. Yeah, really? we just put the house on the market and we had to um, put all our books into storage in case someone came to look around and was like, why have they got 
30 <laughs> copies of Ellis James's book and 30 copies of his. You know, like when you get sent loads of copies of your book and I don't know what we would have looked like, like we were super fans or they'd just know it was us and think, oh my God, their book hasn't sold at all. They've got all these copies in there. Or look, they're really vain. They had to buy loads of copies of their own book. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's, I know. And it is embarrassing. When I had a doctor had to come when Stephanie had just been born, because I thought I had a cold sore. And, you know, they can be a bit dangerous. When you yeah. born, I didn't. It was just a chapped lip. But you sort of go a bit mad when you've had a baby, don't you? Um, oh, completely. <laughs> and um, he recognised me and he said, I like your work. And I said, oh, do you want one of my books? And he said, yeah, OK. And I said, I'll sign it. And then I came in here and opened this door and there was like loads and loads of copies <laughs> of my book. It was <laughs> but Ellis keeps everything in front of me because I'm in the dining room. There's probably 20 copies of my book, and then they're just all his book. He won't get rid of anything. He's got things from when he was six or seven that he just won't throw away. I know. I think that's a very common, and not that I want to be in the slightest bit sexist here, but I think it's a male trait more than a female. Freud would say that those people got stuck at the anal phase of development. <laughs> that is all to do with pooing, isn't it? And I think, you know, mothers in certain ways used to be far more invested in their son's poo than their daughter's. I have no idea why that is. The girls were just like, oh, just get in there and do it. Whereas the boys were like, oh, you've produced the most marvellous piece of art in the world. That's the texture and... <laughs> <laughs> Let's check it on the Bristol stall chart. <laughs> oh, it's a number seven. How marvellous. Yeah, I know, I know. It's mad, isn't it? I've got to put all this stuff in storage that I... I keep finding these things that I... I used to make loads of things. I think it's maybe before you have kids when you've got more time on your hands. Like, I painted this picture of all Alice's favourite ingredients from his favourite food. So, like, the ingredients for spaghetti bolognese, like a packet of mints and then a tin of tomatoes and... It took ages and then I sort of gave it to him and he was like, yes, oh, thanks, you know, just didn't really seem to realise the investment that had gone into it. Do you do that or did you used to do that when you were younger? Oh, yes, I think particularly if you're kind of mad about someone, you put a lot of time. I mean, they're obviously the kind of cliches like making, well, in my day, tapes of the music that you like for someone. And that was a lot of time investment, wasn't it? And the thing is, actually, I think if you compared male and female musical tastes, like a lot of men I know love the Pixies. Have you heard of the Pixies? Yeah, I have. There was a guy at my school who really liked them. He was two years above and I felt like I was maybe slightly too young. But plenty of people my age who like them, I'm sure. I don't know any women that like the Pixies. Oh, really? Like about one woman, whereas I know tens of hundreds of men that absolutely love them. And I also, I don't know, I always think that about bands like U2 as well, that they're much more male-orientated yeah. and obviously heavy metal is as well. Yeah. Um, so, like, a lot of the time you're making kind of mixtapes of people who are just not really going to like the songs <laughs> you're putting <laughs> on there for them. It's like, oh, Abba, lovely, or, or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> Kylie, um, <laughs> right. So you just get too... You know, it gets one play, doesn't it, while your kind of heart's like beating fast. And then it's the same for what they give you as well. I remember getting tapes over the years and thinking, oh, well, that one's all right, but the rest are boring or I don't like that or whatever. I know it's sometimes about what they write on the, the inlay card. or what. I mean, no one must make mixtapes now, but if you make a Spotify playlist for someone, it's just not the same. Because I used to write all these things on the inlay card, like, a reason that I chose every song and, and well, exactly, like which is what makes it personal. That's kind of much the better bit in a way, as you said, you know, the bit that you've written on and that shows that you've thought about it. But I, I always get the feeling that men, oh, I'm honestly, I'm being really sexist towards men today because that's not like me normally. But I always <laughs> get the feeling that they make it for their own pleasure, really. Yeah. If there's just a byproduct of you liking it, then that's great, you know. Yeah. Whereas women kind of thinking about big things like love and all that kind of thing, aren't they, when they're making it, you know. Yeah, or even I think I sometimes used to put on tracks that I didn't really like, but that I thought they would like. 
I know that's another thing as well. I think one day I will make, uh, well, it won't be a mixtape, but a Spotify playlist of songs that I heard in the background when I was being chucked by someone. (laughs) 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 I remember particularly this guy that I was with on and off for absolutely years when I was a teenager who my parents hated. And he's the reason I got thrown out of home and everything. But he chucked me eventually to that song Angie by the Rolling Stones. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was like blasting out in the pub. And I've always really hated that song ever since. I didn't like it much before, to be honest. But It's good if you didn't like it much before. It would be shit if it was like your favourite song and it was ruined forever. Yes, wouldn't it? Do you think he asked them to put it on? So I good. think he might have actually put it on himself. <laughs> on actually, good at it. if it was jukeboxes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, again, another thing that's been taken away that used to make things more personal. When we hear the opening bars to Angie, we know someone's going to get dumped. <laughs> <laughs> this guy comes in every month and <laughs> puts it on. And it's weird how you associate songs with people. Do you know that song, um, yeah, yeah, dude looks like a lady. Oh, yeah, 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 I know that, yeah. We used to go to this pub called The Boat, God, from when we were about 15 or 16, and it doesn't really exist anymore. I think it's a hotel or a gastro pub, but it was brilliant. I, did you have someone like this? It was, like, tiny with lots of intersecting rooms, and there was a pool table, there was a pinball machine, a jukebox, and it was just basically all of us from sixth form there was like a bar called Harvey's, which was quite trendy. And then everyone who was in any way alternative used to go to the boat. And that song used to be played by this guy. I never found out his name, but he had long hair. And whenever I hear that song, I think of that guy, even though I, I haven't seen him since I was about 18. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I think of any art form, music is the most sort of evocative for memory, isn't it, really? Yeah. And that's why, you know, before my dad died, I didn't believe... You know, when people say a tune comes on or a song that they used to like and you can feel emotional very quickly, it seemed to me to be a bit of a cliche. And I thought it's not as straightforward as that, surely. And that's just a kind of filmic device, really. And then I've since found out that it is entirely true and a cliche, but cliches are true. And like if Little Richard comes on or the Beach Boys, I'm just like, Oh my God, it's like the grief is a snowstorm and the song just shakes the snow globe and I'm like back in it. It's Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? I always, yeah. with my dad, the one song that always really reminds me of him is Knocking on Heaven's Door by Bob Dylan because he he, he didn't like much kind of after 1935 <laughs> music-wise, but he heard that on the radio one day and he really liked it, but he had no idea who it was by. So he went into a a record shop and just sang it to this rather confused assistant behind the counter. And he went, oh, yeah, I know what that is. I'll I'll get it for you. And and in theory, because my, you know, my dad wasn't wealthy. He wasn't poor or anything. But the assistant went off and he flogged in the album. And my dad didn't want the (laughs) album. He just wanted the single. And I thought it was, like, quite a mean thing to do, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll kind of increase my mark on this. Yeah. be a poor old dodderer by, you know, by, by an album. But, uh, yeah, because we had, like, a little memorial service for my dad because, actually, I couldn't go to his funeral because I was ill. And we kind of played that at the beginning of it. And it was lovely, actually, just thinking about him because he used to do a lot of daft things like that, you know, go and sing things at people or say to bus drivers, why have three of you come along at once, you know, when everybody <laughs> in the world knows that that's a thing except him? He was always doing that. But, yeah, so, yeah, no, they really do kind of take you back, don't they? It's great. Yeah, they do. And yeah, it can be nice, can't it? That's reminded me of when my dad, my mum and dad stayed in a hotel once, and my dad, he could sometimes be silent for hours. Like, if he didn't have anything to say, he'd be completely happy to just be quiet, and then he'd... And then he was funny, so he'd then come out with something funny. And I always say he's the life and soul of the party. I think, well, is he? Because he's silent for about 99% of it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he is. But they stayed in the hotel once, and I think it was someone's wedding, and they got drunk, mum and dad, and then they came back, and 
dad was saying really loud, it was a B&B, sorry, B&B, that woman's been going through our stuff. <laughs> it was the woman who, it was a B&B, it wasn't in the morning. She said, that woman's got a name. <laughs> and then they realised that she'd heard everything. Oh, so no. I think that was partly why he didn't speak a lot of the time, because he knew he'd say stuff like that. <sighs> Songs can be, I think, think they can be happy as well like you playing at the memorial service we didn't play anything it was in the church so it was quite traditional but there are times that like the beach boys will come on and it can feel quite purging I suppose and I'll be on my own and it's actually quite a nice moment where I feel close to him but then I don't like it if I'm out and it comes on because I don't want to cry and then it, it almost feels a bit disrespectful to him not to mark Acknowledge someone, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I totally agree with you. No, absolutely. No, I know it's weird when something kind of hits you like a bolt when you're out and about and you're not really in the right situation to be able to just behave how you would want to, you know. Yeah, I know. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Do you think it was harder to meet people on the circuit? You were single for some of it, like me, weren't you, when we were sort of doing gigs a lot? And male comics seem to get approached by women quite a lot after gigs. Women sort of um, audience members type yeah. things. Yeah, I hardly ever did at all. I once got approached by actually a really lovely looking guy after a gig in, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this on your podcast, but he just came up to me and said, I'm from Hackney, do you fancy a shag? I mean, that sounds like a line from um, a Sleaford Mod song, doesn't it? It'd be repeated again and again. I'm from Hackney, do you fancy a shag? Exactly. What a great sentence. I know, and what a sort of very direct and contained sentence, really. Everything was in it that I needed to know, really. (laughs) (laughs) I found sometimes that men were more likely to approach me, and I don't mean with a view to anything happening, I just mean approach me full stop to say anything if I hadn't done very well in the game. Oh, how interesting. Yeah, I think there's a status thing going on and it is sort of a bit gender-based, you know. I mean, I know a lot of women that would sort of try and chat to the comic that had stormed the gig the most. Whereas I don't know if some kind of male audience members, the more sort of gobby, heckly ones, they're not really that comfortable with a woman like really storming it somehow. No, because you've got more power. I suppose it's because 
some people want power, don't they? And in that situation, you've got more power if you've ripped the gig because yeah. your status is higher. I mean, even if I'd taken the roof off, I never got a better compliment from a bloke. And loads of blokes said this to me after gigs. I thought you were quite good. You know, I've had that so many times. I've never had a bloke say, I thought you were brilliant. I remember I shall, I shall, he shall remain nameless, but I was doing a gig with another comic who was a lot higher status than me. And uh, he didn't do too well. And I really kind of ripped it. And we were in the dressing room afterwards and his dad came in and he said to me, good effort. And I was like, hello, were you just at the same thing as I was? I just, it was so rude. I didn't say anything, but, you know, it was like that kind of real little lady put down thing. God, good effort. I know. What a patronising thing to say. It's like a school teacher, isn't it? Good effort. Yes. It's almost like you've done something a bit different. Now go back home and... Put the oven on. back to what you should be doing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. It's easy to think this is a gender thing and I'm always careful to examine whether it actually is or whether that's the easiest conclusion to come to, if you know what I mean. I think it's interesting to, like, if you storm it, I think backstage at a dress view, it's quite interesting because before the gig, it's like everyone's on an equal footing. Yeah. And then I've seen people try and psych each other out. I'm quite quiet in dressing rooms, I think. And I've seen acts who are doing well and famous show their insecurity really by having to sort of lord it about and be top dog in the dressing room but they're attempting to kind of be higher than everyone else but ultimately everyone is the same status before the gig it's like anything could happen and then it the atmosphere changes as the gig goes on doesn't it absolutely also the stakes are so much higher for the well-known act yeah yeah that's the one great thing about comedy audiences is they don't laugh at something if they don't think it's funny Um, And that's how you can distinguish it from every other creative activity, which is that it's all about judgment, you know, with actors, with artists, with poets, whatever. But if you're a comic, people either laugh or they don't. Yeah. So if you're kind of like the high status one and you go on and people laugh less than they do at the other acts, it's quite humiliating, really. Yeah. Because you think, I've been given this status with all the sort of accepted assumptions that I'm a better comic that I'm worth seeing more I say more interesting things or whatever it is and look that hasn't happened oh my god what do I do now yeah I know yeah on a much lesser scale when I started doing peep show that was really my telly break I did a bit of telly before but not more than a couple of scenes in things and then I started to get booked to close gigs where before I'd be booked to open them. So obviously closing's the highest status, isn't it, on the bill kind of thing. And I wasn't really ready to close those gigs. I didn't have a strong enough set. And I didn't have the confidence. I was quite happy going on first or going in the middle. I didn't really want to push things, you know, and go, OK, this is a good challenge. I'll write a new set. And I... I sometimes found it quite hard. Yeah, absolutely. I totally understand that. I know. I, I used to try and bury myself in the middle of the gig. And I remember once, absolutely years ago, I did a working men's club in Burnley with an impressionist called Phil Cool. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah, I do. Really yeah. famous on the telly at the time. And I'd been going for about a year. And we were in the dressing room and he goes, can you go on after me? And I went, Phil, that's mad, you know, because everyone's come here to see you. Everyone loves you. You're on the telly. I'm just some man-hating sort of honorary lesbian, you know, person here to hate that people here are going to hate me. And I managed to persuade him to go on last, thank God. But, yeah, I mean, it's all about unravelling confidence, isn't it? Even when you're someone who's really, really famous, you know that as a comic... That means nothing, really. Absolutely. And then I think it's worse when they hate you than when you're unknown because it becomes a story. Yeah. Like, well, I saw so-and-so, and especially if they're doing new material, you know, you'll get small gigs, won't you? And then you'll get an act that isn't billed because they're doing new material. And then the rumours come out, you know, so-and-so's coming down. Then they do their new material. And then it's like, oh, I saw them and some of it didn't yes. work. And it's like, yes. well, of course it didn't because they're <laughs> 
I know. I know. It's, it's hard. But then what I realised as well is, did you find this when you were starting to preview stuff for Edinburgh? You go and do previews in, especially for my first and second year, would take any single preview I could get. So I'd go to like Shropshire and do a preview in a studio theatre in front of 10 people. And it would be a fucking mess. Like I'd have... <laughs> I'd print it all out on A4 paper, but not number the pages because I was so stressed about trying to write enough to get through the preview. And then I dropped them all immediately the minute I went on because I was carrying on a music stand, the guitar and this thing. Then picked them up and they're in no order. And just then I talked to the audience afterwards at that one in Shropshire, actually, and they said, what does preview mean? And I said, well, it means it's cheaper because the person's trying stuff out and they'll be reading off notes. And they were like, oh, we just thought it was a comedy show. We didn't know who was on. You know, and they think, oh, my God, I just feel so bad. And I think that happens a lot, that you expect kind of audiences to be much more on it than they actually are, because they don't know the difference between things. No, or why should they, in a way? Yeah, and that whole tradition of top of the bill has kind of clung on, even though actually that's not really how comedy gigs work in the clubs anymore, you know. Someone might have to go home because the babysitter yes. can only work till 9.30 or someone might yeah. have another gig they've got to drive up the A40 to. Yeah. So people are going, you know, why is Lenny Henry on first or stuff like that, you know. It's kind of interesting, really. Maybe in the more traditional days, someone who was supposed to close would never go on early because it was like part of the night that everyone was yeah. waiting for them, but... Part of the yeah. magic as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you do charity gigs, you know, when everyone's supposed to do like 10 minutes and then someone goes on and does like 25 and then everyone's going mad because they've all got babysitters and they've got other gigs. And Oh, I know. That drives me nuts, actually. I did a gig in Edinburgh once where I was on last, I was on at midnight and the act before me was meant to do 20 minutes and they did an hour. And oh I didn't go on till God. one o'clock in the morning, by which time everyone was so pissed off. They couldn't have cared less if I was Billy Connolly. Do you know what I mean? It was just yeah. so... But you're still the one who looks bad, even yeah, though it's absolutely. totally beyond your control. If you say to an audience they've sucked all the energy out of the room, they look at you like you're just pissed off and jealous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no explaining it. No, the more you try and explain it, the worse it gets. It's like every time someone, a comic, writes into the newspapers or something or an actor and moans about a review they've got, it never makes them look good or garners them any sympathy. It just makes them look like a needy twat. So you've got to just not do that. You get a bad review, you've just got to suck it up and don't moan about it and just get on with your life because... It's never going to be something that people will go, oh, yeah, I think they've got a point there. Yeah. What's the motto? Never complain and never explain. Exactly. The Queen says that. The Queen? The the Queen. Well, Kate Moss says it. I read an interview years ago with Kate Moss and she said never complain and never explain. And I was like, I like that even though it's hard to do. It is. It's really hard because you want to justify yourself all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I will say one thing about Kate Moss that I love – Returning briefly to partners is her partner's called Otto von Bismarck, isn't he? Oh, yeah. It kind of sounds like a cross between a battleship and a vampire. He <laughs> sounds so exciting. I'd like a partner called something like that. Such yeah. a great name. Yeah, both words kind of exotic. It's not like it's like Darren von Bismarck. Or, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My friend Amy from college married a guy called De Silva is his surname. So she's Amy De Silva now. And that, I love that. It's That's just, a great name. Yeah. I do like it actually when there's one ordinary name and one more unusual one for your area. De Silva isn't an unusual name in Sri Lanka, I'm sure. But to you, to your ears, it's so interesting. So sound, exotic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, when you used to go out with boys when you, you were like, at school and university, did you immediately test out how Joe sounded with their surname as if you were going to get married? I didn't test out how Joe sounded, but if they had like a stupid surname, I would just think, even if they asked me, I'm not going to get married to them. <laughs> Because it's like bad luck, isn't it? Also, sometimes if they had a Christian name, I didn't like either. But I actually really do think carrying around a stupid name does really affect your attitude 
towards life. You yeah, know. I do. I think it can be really, really hard. I mean, actually, sooty. I did used to get, when I was growing up, it was always sooty and sweet because of my accent. I think because we lived in Hertfordshire a bit, if I'd stayed in Hertfordshire, people would have said sooty, which then yeah. we wouldn't necessarily have thought of the sooty show, but because it's a weird surname anyway. But when I went up north, because everyone says sooty, it was like, oh, sooty and sweet, where's Sue? Especially as they say, Izzy Wizzy, let's get busy, is the spell on the blimmin' sooty show. It's like, this is like a double whammy. Yeah. Um, Did you used to put Izzy, whatever their name was? Oh, my God, yes, immediately. <laughs> I mean, immediately. If we were, like, on holiday and we saw, like, we used to call them FBs, fit boys, or GB is gross boy. <laughs> So we used to do FB, FB. I would want to immediately find out his surname so that I knew whether we could get married or not. I mean, I'm not joking. It was like a real priority. And also I kept a list of every boy I'd snogged. I wrote out the alphabet in the back of my diary. And then I put, you know, try and get one for every letter of the alphabet, both first names and surnames. And X was always really hard. There was a guy in the year above me called Xavier, but I didn't fancy him. So I was just thinking, is it worth snogging him though, just so I can tick X off? but I didn't. I did have an Italian boyfriend when I was at school because in Hastings there was a lot of language schools and a load of European students would come over in the summer holidays and his name was Claudio Locatelli and I always quite fancied that surname to be honest. Yeah, Joe Locatelli. Although I bet you if you'd had kids they would be teased because it sounds like you're locking a telly. Oh, that's true. And I would have had to call them all Darren and Kim. (laughs) What, so people knew they were British? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're not Italian, they're half Italian. Exactly. <laughs> no, not Stefano, no. <laughs> um, I used to do that thing as well. Did you used to do that thing where you write out Joe loves Claudio and then you, you cross, cross out, out the same, yes, yeah. yeah. And then you've got a percentage. What does that actually tell you in the end? I can't remember. It gives you a percentage and that's how compatible you are. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Oh, I might do that with my husband. Yeah, I might actually. But I used to do this thing where if I didn't get the outcome that I wanted, I'd do it with middle names and then middle names and surnames. Yeah, absolutely (laughs) would do that as well. Oh, I'm glad that was a a universal method of deciding whether someone was suitable or not. I mean, I'm surprised it isn't used more as people are older. (laughs) There was another one where you had to write out letters vertically and each one stood for a different word, like marriage, shag, maybe, snog. So then what you'd do is you'd count down the line, down, go back yeah. to the top, and then whatever it landed on. <laughs> Friends, marry. Yeah, I can't remember what the word is. Maybe someone listening will know. wonder if it ever worked. Yeah, I wonder if anyone ever got 100% yeah. on the names thing. Had to get married to them. Yeah, that's the law. <laughs> <laughs> the end oh well it was I told you it was casual yeah, it's really nice <laughs> oh good i've loved it um we we'll just do the song one more time and i'll I'm going to try and clap properly now oh all right yeah well, i've tried before but i wasn't very good at it now it's a hard thing to do on zoom isn't it the things we do for love yes the things we do for love this week i was talking to joe brand Her favourite female author is... Susan Hill. You'll never have heard of her. That was so quick. Yeah, well, uh, because she's been my favourite for years. And I haven't heard of her, I'm ashamed to say. Don't be ashamed. She writes really fantastic, poetic novels, really. And my favourite, because actually, even though I'm a comedian, I'm as miserable as sin most of the time. And my favourite is called In the Springtime of the Year. And it's about a woman whose husband is killed in an accident on a farm and how she gets over it. It's a lovely book. I'll definitely look her up. And she writes loads of really brilliant detective stories as well, okay. uh, all based on the same detective. And they're a real, you know, cut above. I'm not a fan of kind of people being stabbed in the eye with their own, you know, makeup yeah, bag right, yeah. well, and gore, but they're just beautifully written. I will look her up because since lockdown began, I've only read detective or crime books by female authors. I didn't make that a rule, but that is literally the only thing I've been able to read. Obviously, things are a little bit more normal now, but yeah, just read loads of Erin Kelly. Yeah, there's another one called Nikki, someone like lots and lots. So that sounds great. Have you read Kate Atkinson? No. 
She's a brilliant writer, but I actually really prefer her detective novels. She's got a fantastic Scottish detective called Jackson Brodie. So they're really good as well. So okay. Kate Atkinson and Susan Hill. All right, brilliant. They're both good surnames as well. They wouldn't get teased, would they? There's nothing, there's no hook in there. No, absolutely. Her favourite mm. flavour of lip balm is? Cherry. Okay, yeah. Good choice, <laughs> yeah. Her favourite mm. thing she's ever knitted is? Uh, a pink jumper that I knitted at university when I was really depressed. I hate knitting, but I've still got it and it just reminds me of what it was like when life was really shit. Yeah, I, sometimes nice to have things like that because you go, oh, life's a bit better now than it was then. Absolutely. You helped me knit, though. You've, oh, that's right, of course yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. how's that going? It's, I really like it, but I'm finding it really hard now. I've got a baby and a five-year-old. Oh, absolutely. I'm knitting him a jacket and I've finished this cat jumper that I've been knitting for probably three years that's going to be too small for Betty, but he'll have to wear it. Where there's two cats peeking over a brick wall and there's a mouse that's actually a stuffed toy hanging by its tail that they're fighting over. It's the most complicated thing. It sounds yeah. fantastic. Oh, I mean, that's what I like about knitting is they almost look like they're pictures from a 1950s kids picture book, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what this is like. Yeah. The things we do for love. <laughs> That was The Things We Do For Love with me, Izzy Sutty, chatting to Joe Brand. I hope you enjoyed it. We certainly did. If you want to check out what Joe's doing, just look around you because she's on everything and so she should be. Um, my book is out now. It's called Jane Is Trying and it's about a woman who returns to her hometown in a bit of a mess after she discovers that her fiancé has been cheating on her and they've been trying for a baby I worked very hard on it. I ate lots of cake. I also ate lots of Thai food, which um, I love, but even more than usual. So I kind of lived on cake and Thai food, which I highly recommend for about a month when I was finishing it. So yeah, um, please do buy that and um, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please tell people, please subscribe and please leave a review. And we will see you next time on The Things We Do For Love. Do for Love was hosted by me, Izzy Sutty, and featured my guest, Joe Brand. The theme music is by Charlie Jefferson. The Things We Do for Love is produced by Ben Walker for Fuzz Productions and the Internet. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.